Welcome to the Master Slave Lifestyle Podcast. Here we'll interview real people living the real Master Slave lifestyle, all consensual and all in different ways. And in this episode... We're getting money and attention, and that's a very primal biological indicators of, of worth and value. The online space is such a interesting environment because it allows for the fantasy to exist as a fantasy, actively sought out that behavior, that, that, that session, that fantasy to worship, to be an object. This is MasterSlaveLifestyle.com. Hello everyone, in this episode I'm speaking with Michael, a reflective kinkster and his journey into kink and fetish, from his beginning as a slave to being a thin dom and to letting that go when he realized it was not healthy for him and to what he's doing now. He also runs an amazing podcast exploring power dynamics called BDSM Reimagined. Michael, welcome. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I am looking forward to this session. So how would you describe yourself now? Yeah, uh, I would say I'm definitely still a kinkster. I love everything related to BDSM and kink. It's definitely runs at the heart of me. Um, but where I'm, at now, where I'm at now is I have taken a bit of a step back, just kind of looking at what my identity is and where it lies, you know, submissive or dominant. These questions, surprisingly, have come up for me because I've always identified myself as uh, submissive by heart. That's changed in the last few years. So when did you first realize you were into um, a master slave or, or let's say fetish in general? Yeah. So I, when I was younger, I was very interested and aroused by trainers or sneakers, if we're in the American audience, but trainers. And that was a very you know, particular object which always caught my eye. I think in my later teens to my earlier 20s, it extended to sportswear. Um, and I felt what I can sense is, so that's just like sort of the fetish. That's the main thing which has been consistent throughout my life. But when master slavery came into it is a bit later on in my 20s. So I'm in my mid 30s now. And what I can see is that I felt inadequate when it came to other men around me who were much more sporty and masculine and athletic. And I think that that inadequacy presented itself or sorry, or started to grow more in a, I wish I was them. I want to worship them. And that is a, that's kind of the shift, the change, which happened later on in my, my 20s when I moved to London. I was 26 when I moved to London. And moving to London allowed a place where I wasn't observed by my friends. You know, when you're in a certain friendship group, they see you a certain way. And if you kind of go off that path, they can pull you back. Like, wait a minute, you don't wear Nike TNs. Wait a minute, you don't wear Air Force. So coming to London, I think, allowed for me to explore the worship of sportswear and, and everything uh, brought into it. I will say that I did explore humiliation and power dynamics with my first partner in my, when I was about 20, 21. But we both didn't have the language for that. And it wasn't ever seen as master slave. I think it was just a genuine exploration 
of those two facets of the BDSM realm. So you mentioned, let's say, sports fetish or worship of sports. Rare. Could you explain a bit more what this is? Because I think you're the first person on this podcast to talk about it. What? <laughs> yeah, I do feel, just on that note, I do feel when I go to fetish places, uh, fetish, fetish events, I see a big focus on leather and rubber and lycra. Uh, and there is a focus on sports where you do see it, but it doesn't seem to be as um, prevalent, uh, at least in my experience. So, yeah, I mean, it is what it sounds like. There is something about the masculinity or virility even that sports represents. You know, if someone is active and has those typical signs of strength, like muscle, then for me, I think it indicates power and on, on a deep, on a much more biological level, virility, you know, someone who can you know reproduce and you know something like that at least health as well and, and you worshipping such a person that has those attributes what what does what did you feel that that gave you Adam and the time you were doing this at enemy trainees i think it made me feel i belonged to something that was strong something that was going to ensure my protection they also offered an unconflicted state. You know, the particular men I worshipped behind these sports attire were people who didn't seem to be conflicted by the existential or emotional problems that I was kind of going through. Um, you know, I've had bad mental states in my life. I've thought a lot about other people. I have. I find I have a lot of empathy. But the people who I was aroused by behind these sports attire were people who are just it's like the Tyler Durden of fight fight club people who are unconflicted with the world around them so it offered a place of safety amongst the chaos which I found my I find myself at times thank you for talking about that I think we'll pick up on some of those themes later Another question I just want to ask is, when did you move from, let's say, the fantasizing into doing? Yeah, so I think consciously I moved to that in my late 20s after coming to London. So as I said, in my early 20s, I dabbled in it, but there was no language around it. So it didn't really have a direction, which is actually quite freeing. But later in my 20s, I met people through social media through the dating apps, et cetera, where I actively sought out that behavior, that, that, that session, that fantasy to worship, to be an object, to be uh, humiliated, to be, to belong to this figure, to be in service of this figure. And some, there's some very strong words there, like belong, object, humiliated, you know, being belonging to to this person so were these things that were really important to you at this point in your life yeah so i do use language like that because i do think we are operate at least i am operating on, on that kind of level and i think in my in your in my 20s at least it was a very turbulent time emotionally you're crafting your identity you're trying to find who you are 
And therefore, in that uncertainty, people who offer protection or a place are more attractive. Yeah, that was that was what was the link I was sort of making and, and almost, let's say, from uncertainty, this could be uncertainty about yourself or the environment to certainty of belonging to someone. But yeah. there's also this a connection of wanting to link to strength, power, or vitality as well. So was, was, was part of the connection or that and belonging you were lo- looking for was also to you know, be surrounded by, by this strength, let's say, that at that time you felt you lacked. Yeah, most definitely. It was a trying to alleviate the inadequacies of what I perceived as, as masculine. You know, or I'm not strong enough or I'm not smart enough or I'm not confident enough and therefore I will try and... I think there's a subtlety here. I'll either try and emulate that and pretend to be or I'll just worship it. And I think I chose the worship. I think this would resonate for a lot of people. Like, it, uh, I really re- resonate with that. Like, I know that if I get that sense of belonging with someone, I just operate better. And that idea of worshipping at the foot of and the master, you know, is, is this amazing feeling to actually have. It's just very hard to find the true reality of that at times, that you can connect to, let's say, the foot of a man, but they might be as insecure as you in the end. And there's something around then the mythology of what you're worshipping disappears. I definitely find that. It was a, it's been a big struggle for me to find what I term authentic doms, like people who actually feel the confidence that I'm projecting onto them which is almost an impossible task. You know, in fantasy, everything is perfect and everything is unflawed, but we are humans. And um, so I did a lot of search, years and years and years and years of trying to find doms that I believed. And were you successful? Did you find a few that actually did have what you were looking for? I, I <laughs> no, I wasn't. It's probably about a 10-year search. I, I found one person who I really think, this is very current, and it's in the last six months, the last year, sorry, one person who I really feel embodies the true dominant alpha persona. But that's a lot of searching for that. Um, I've often found that one of the, the biggest struggle points a master-slave relationship can have is when something goes wrong and the slave realizes the master is human and actually not this perfect mythological master god, let's say, and it can be a very hard thing to overcome. But at the same time, sometimes the master themselves can be so angry about being knocked off their pedestal that they react in a very childlike way as well, and a lot of the insecurity comes out. In terms of you doing this 10-year search and only finding one person, what would you say were the reasons that the other people you found weren't what you were looking for? Did you have them on too high a pedestal or were they angry that they were knocked off it for some reason or was there another kind of reason for it not working out? Yeah, I think there's a combination of reasons. For me, it seemed to be emotional intelligence or awareness i think a lot of the doms i met um the cracks were exposed the conversations around that were very 
can become very defensive and very um, one-sided. There is a protectiveness on both ends. I'm not saying, oh, doms are all... Uh, there can be a, a real protectiveness around what they were trying to do or what I was trying to do. And then I think that the truth of what's happening gets lost somewhere in there. But like you mentioned emotional intelligence there. When, when you were, let's say, in your 20s, how, how did you think about it at, at that, that point? You know, um, because I, I know that I didn't have that sort of term in my mind in the 20s. Well, I always, I always felt that I was the reason it didn't work. And I think there could be a tendency that lots of subs may have. I'm not connecting because I'm not fitting into the rules, the discipline that the Dom is giving me. And so there's a real habit of more shame or you know, more shame can come up and belittling of the oneself. And as I gotten older, I've realized no wait, that there's something else happening on the Dom side that they have a responsibility to, to meet you halfway. It, there's such a rush. I mean, when, I'm, when I've been online and I've had submissives contact me, there's a real energy and eagerness to please, I'll do whatever you say, no limits. And they throw these quite grand statements out. And when I'm in that Dom persona, I think, let's talk more honestly about what, you know, what, what's, What's reality here? And you can build up to those fantasies, but you have to start on the human level, which means I have particularities, I have flaws, I have quirks that you need to know, and you do too, and I need to know them as well. The problem with that is it can just ruin the fantasy, it ruins the illusion. You know, oh no, you're flawed? Oh my God, I can't continue. Yeah, I've always thought that there's this, how can a master be their authentic self and essentially say, you know, I'm, I'm a normal person and these are some of my faults, but at the same time, no one's going to do that if most slaves only go, oh, I'm no longer find you attractive. And there's the responsibility on, of the submissive and slave also to be able to accept that, okay, anyone I find is not going to be perfect. And if someone's saying that they are, perhaps they're not the best person to be with because that's that was not true for any human being on this planet. That's right. It's just, it's not sustainable. It's a, For me, it's been a fantasy or a desire or a wish to just do what the Dom says and ignore everything else and ignore those honest conversations and it can go a certain distance, but it's not sustainable. And it, it's, in my own experience, it has to come from the human-to-human -human conversation. So let's let's go back to your history now. So you're on the sub side, you're doing this worshipping and belonging, and at a certain point find someone. And then you decide to go into Findom. So how did this first come about? How did this transition occur? Yeah, so this happened over a few years. So uh, one thing that I noticed was when I had profiles, I don't have any profiles anymore. When I had public profiles, as a submissive, it would say I am submissive. And even on, on Grindr, I'd just say sub. Over the years, I would get people offering me money. 
And so that kind of planted a few seeds in my head thinking, hmm, okay. And then I would entertain it sometimes. So I would take money and I would be then so racked with guilt. Like, wait a minute, I know that you're projecting an idea onto me. I can't support that because it's not true. Like I'm not an alpha. I'm not this dominant man that knows everything. So what I used to do <laughs> is I used to send money back. I used to say, oh no, this isn't this isn't the reality, blah, blah, blah. So people would send me money and I'd send, send money back. Um, and I would, or I'd, or I'd make sure that they know that I'm submissive and blah, 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 blah. Or I'd make sure that they know I was submissive. So I do everything to try and kind of maybe fight this process. This is, it was more about me. Other things that were happening were that um, comparison amongst my peers was a big reason why I moved into taking the role of a Findom more. So my peers would have better job, better paid jobs. I've worked very hard, but people around me were buying houses. They were going on holidays and I felt a massive lack in that. So this was another ingredient which said, wait a minute, Michael, where can I get more money from? And then the third component is the genuine connection that I want to offer someone in a safe space. I, I've wanted to give, I like giving that to people. And if people were paying me, I felt that I was conscious enough and safe enough to to allow their fantasy to uh, fruition, uh, to form. And therefore I actually authentically connected on that level. Okay, I can see you're projecting. All right, this isn't my own. I wouldn't tell them this eventually. I can see you're projecting. I think I'm one of the safest people to do that because I will listen to you when you express concern or doubt or regret or struggle. And I will have a conversation around that. So these ingredients over a few, four or five years built up to me creating an online profile as a, as a FinDom, <laughs> as a straight FinDom actually sometimes. So was there much thinking before you put the profile on? You know, was, was, was there a process or was there suddenly a point that, that you just kind of went, fuck it, I'm doing this? No, I mean, with me, there's a huge process behind everything. And I would love to meet people who saw my original profiles because I had a profile which just showed my trainers. That was how it all started on Instagram. And then people were like, oh, those are cool. Could I come over and worship them? And then my profile bio would change over, I think it was six years or five years. Sub, Dom, uh, Finn Sub, um, allowing London to... Uh, celebrate my feet like it just changed over time uh, before I got into Twitter and then Twitter was the one which really blew up or allowed me to express that that dominant persona so how how did it feel to be a Findom it's a very interesting place to be in in some ways it felt very good because you were getting money and attention and that's a very primal biological um, indicators of, of worth and value in some ways in some ways not the best indicators but yeah um, 
So there's a real seductiveness about it and a real addictiveness about it. It felt very sticky. Um, alongside this whole time, though, because in my podcast, I was documenting this journey. So it's all kind of documented in my struggles because I was doing it with a co-host and she's a psychologist. So I was saying, oh, should I do this? Am I? And you can hear me exploring this journey in, 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 my, in my podcast. So ultimately, I never really sat with it comfortably, but I did it. I did it quite to, to quite a high degree. So, so let's let's focus on some of the the ups. So, so what was what was the thrill for you? What were the times during the day or, or in the week where you had the thrill, and it felt really good? Um, to just look at your phone and see a number appear, and you didn't have to do anything. To get validation about the way you look, you know, just living, and people would say you deserve it. Um, and you think, okay, all right. Uh, so you, you can see now I'm going into a little moral, hmm, ethical thing, but let's stay with the ups. Um, people sharing your posts, people endlessly admiring you. It's a very sticky, it's a very, it's a great place to be in. And, and was there anything you, you, you just personally liked about it as well at, um, the time you were do, doing it? Um, we'll come on to the negatives in a moment, but I just want to explore more of that, that kind of positive side for you. I mean, I loved receiving gifts. I loved getting something in the mail and be like, yeah, this is what I wanted and I got it. I liked being able to use money to go on holidays that I couldn't otherwise afford. And when I did meet people in real time, in real life, quote, which I preferred, I've always had it on my profile, like I prefer to real meets. I really did genuinely enjoy being able to facilitate their fantasy for them. And some people may say that that's being submissive. I'm going to be what you need. And if that's a dominant persona, then that is what I'm going to be. But those exchanges, those meets of being what they need, I found a beautiful place in our psyche to be in and to to function in it's a, it sounds like a bit you were taking a service top role i think so i really do and what was your favorite gift um trainers trainers and socks and sportswear yeah yeah, yeah. i had the amazon i was i had the amazon wish list and that was all there and um i actually preferred gifts in the end i didn't like cash per se I thought gifts were more personal. And that was some feedback from subs. So let's open up a bit more about just Findomit in general now, as this can be quite a contentious subject across the master slave scene. Um, why do you think so many slaves are attracted to Findom? It's um, a good question. I mean, I've also been attracted to it as a submissive but I've never really explored it. I would say two or three times I've actually willingly given money over. I've had a big complex around money, so that, that's probably my own stuff. What's attractive about it is that I think money in itself is a symbol of a person's effort and energy and time. So if I work, I earn a certain amount of money, and that money indicates how much work I've put into the job. 
if I give that money over, it's a very concrete, immediate form of effort and time that I've invested in the world. And that goes to you. The reward of that effort and time, I'm going to give it to you. There's something about that, which I think is about money in itself. But also money is very practical. You don't have to, I mean, lots of subs can say, I want to do domestic, I'll come over, I'll do chores, I'll pay you for it to do it. Um, but that requires the right headspace. You know, sometimes you're just not in the mood. You're, you're, really in the, you're only in the mood, I think, when, they, when people are talking in the moment. Like, oh yeah, if we say let's meet in three days time, in three days time, you're going to be in a whole different headspace. But I think it's really immediate. Um, and it's endless. It's endless. You can keep doing it. I mean, what attracts tops to Findom? I think a number of things. Um, I think some tops have a genuine care for their sub, and that can express itself in the financial domain. Like, I'll take care of your finan- finances. Don't worry, I'll take care of all of that. I think that there's a genuineness there. There could be a controlling element. You know, I want to take care of your funds. I don't care if you know what to do with it. It's mine. I'll decide. I think it um, can also come out of inadequacy um, or wanting validation. I mean, at the end of the day, it's also numbers that you see. It's like 400 pounds, 200 pounds, 385. You think, okay, those numbers give me a value. It's so hard to know how valuable you are until you see a concrete form like the amount of likes retweets and cash in your account or on your screen i mean one of the things i'm getting through this entire chat now is this there's a concept of projection the slave projecting onto the master and this idea of affirmation or validation and so from a slave point of view, giving money to a master almost validates I am a slave in some way. And a master receiving it validates, yes, I'm worthy. I have something here that, that someone wants to give to me. So so it feels like there's some some validation or or projecting going on. What what do you think about that that kind of thought? Yeah. I, I do agree. In the third season of my podcast, my co-host and I explore one of three layers that we think is part of the dominance reasons for this, which is defectiveness, shame and defectiveness, that the dom gets validation that they need because in a, some sense they feel defective. And it's a way to kind of reclaim that power or reclaim a feeling which would take away that that inadequacy. The, the, the other link I kind of make here, like just going through my notes, you were saying how you used to compare yourself to other people and you, you didn't feel worthy. And it, you, um, I mean, people can't see, but I can, but you're an incredibly good looking man. And if people are offering you money from your your profiles, I imagine you're an incredibly good-looking man then as well. And so I guess I have is moving into this Findom was a way of kind of validating your worth and allowing you to feel a little less insecure or not comparing yourself as much to others as lacking. 
Yeah. There is an element where I've I've had two subs I've really trusted have known me since the, the beginning. And there's a part of it which for me was about while I kind of hung on to this Findob persona was Michael, maybe allow yourself to be loved or taken care of. Are you just saying no to this because you don't think you're worth someone taking care of you or because you don't think you should be taken care of? And a big reason why I've maintained these particular relationships with these subs is because they've seen all parts of me, my struggles, my ethical struggles with it, everything, and they've still said, you know what, I still want to support your life. And that actually is something very, I think, a lesson for me to learn in that, which is letting people do that. That's that's really deep. Thank you for sharing that. One of the other things that I've kind of noticed is that Thindom can be in a more of a fantasy space. So that there are many people that will give money to someone online and then there's some sort of video back or generic video. And what what I find very interesting is that these people never meet. So it feels like there's a very shallow validation going on. And, but because it's easy, it allows people to kind of go, oh, I am a slave if I'm doing this, but I don't have to deal with the fear of actually physically meeting with someone. It's like I sometimes have potential coaching clients get in touch and some back out. And one of the reasons they back out is because they're already in a relationship with their master, let's say, and they don't want to interrupt that relationship and the relationship's been going for three years. But actually it's an online relationship where they have never met and they're never going to meet, but they're not ready to let go of that, let's say, shallow fantasy to go after the true reality. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I've had people who uh, are just online, particularly sometimes they're in a different country. But I know that if they weren't, they would have a, they wouldn't want to meet. And I've had people who wanted to to only meet, which I find very intriguing. Um, the online space is such a interesting environment because it allows for the fantasy to exist as a fantasy. You know, meeting someone is a threat to that fantasy. Oh, they might, I don't, might not like their smell. Oh, their feet actually aren't that good. Oh, their voice, it's not amazing. And it really attacks that, that place of security that the sub might want to be in and stay in. So it does, as, and as a byproduct of that, you do stay in a very shallow, I mean, it's a very real feeling. It's like, my God, it's a very intense space. Um, but it, it's only one dimensional and that's where may, some people may be and only want to be. And again, I just, for me, after a while, it isn't sustainable. I think you do it. I think if I was to do that, I would do a big, uh, what's the word? Disenfranchisement, a dis dishonoring of what authentic connection could actually be, which is so much more than the online space. Yes. But I understand where, why I mean, I've done it. I understand why people have stayed in the online space as well. It's 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 quite a process in itself. I think it's also because sometimes people can't find the real thing because of their age or how they perceive they look. It might not be that their looks would stop them, but they perceive or get feedback that they can never be a slave, and so 
this provides a avenue for those people because they feel the real path's closed off, even if it is open, but they have got had the feedback off, let's say someone called to say you can never be a slave. And so this then becomes the easier or the better path because it's more affirming. Absolutely. I mean, my struggle to find a dom that I felt I could believe in became so exhaustive that I was led to wanting to pay money to doms online for their image that they presented and only that because I knew if I met them in person it would wouldn't be what it actually looks like it wouldn't be what it is it wouldn't be what I've been chasing for this whole time so I can see how so I can see how for me staying in this online world again could really come out of exhaustion and desperation and you know what at the end of the day I just want to get off and I just want to meet a dom or I just want to have a conversation with an attractive dom that's all I want to do and if I have to pay for that all right I you know what I will and then it can become a habit and then you stay there it's hard it really is hard after the time we're recording this I have slowly started to explore my master side I've been keeping it under the wire a bit but I've also been reflecting on the differences in feelings between taking a master role or a slave role. And one of the very surprising things I found is how much more positive and affirming it is in the master role. You know, because I can have a beautiful slave at my feet just saying how gorgeous I am and how much they love serving me and worshipping me. And then I try and get in touch with masters and there's just no contact. Or if you do reach contact with someone, you end up having a very in, in insecure man that's trying to destroy your self-image to make themselves feel powerful. And it's been very interesting suddenly feeling an affirmation and a validation in, in the top role that does not particularly exist in the slave role. Is this something that you've also felt? Yeah, I'd say the most common, um, I'm going to use the word archetype, the most common archetype I get when I talk to a dom is the bully. Yes. That's the persona. It's the shut up, you do as I say, very blunt, short answers. And there's an, for me, there's an arousal around that as well because that affirms their dominance and power. But then I, just, I also just switch off. But being on the other side of that, I've understood that the amount of attention a dom can get can also be very overwhelming. And at the end of the day, if I'm in the Dom persona, I just want to know, are we going to actually meet? Or is this you just kind of getting off, climaxing and disappearing? You know, I will invest in this dynamic, in this conversation, but I have about 10 others doing the exact same thing. And usually subs will just disappear yes. after they climax. And that's so frustrating. So in the later parts of my journey as a FinDom, I did resort to short, blunt messages. Pay first to speak. I never went to that level, but I can see how that happens. So let's move this to the next part of your journey. So when did you start to realize this was unhealthy for you? It became too much of a preoccupation. It just took up a lot more time and energy. And it slowly slipped into, oh, just a sec, I'll be out in a sec. And I'm just messaging a sub. Or I'm out having lunch and then a sub is horny. And they, 
you know if I entertain this conversation, I'll get money. So then it takes away from, it took away from my interactions with friends and family. So it started to steal time very slowly. And at nighttime, I would be up very late, sometimes early in the morning, ready to respond to a message. And sometimes the sub would come on at, let's say, 11.30 p.m. I'm tired, 11.30. But I know that if I entertain this conversation, I'll be getting some money out of it. So it really started to affect the basic elements in one's life, whether you, where you find connection and, and happiness. It started to eat into that. It sounds like it, it's, it's becoming more shallow and moving more to a transaction. That, that's exactly right. And so what I found was over the year or two that I really got into it was that my, that my profile was becoming more positioned to what would attract most attention. So I would become much more of a bully archetype because it would get a response. I would post more mean pictures or more careless pictures. I would use more. One of the reasons I'm moving to Twitter was I could use more profanity. And that was a real calling card. It was like a, a, a flame for moths. And so the, my image became much more limited, two-dimensional. And I found myself saying things and doing things which I thought, this is so far from what I really feel and think. Why am I doing this? Why am I becoming this really kind of concentrated form of negative energy, really? Like just pushing out... Um, you know, there's homophobic remarks. That, I mean, I love humiliation. That's one of my core things as well. So I like being called certain things that are homophobic. Um, but sometimes you've got to think, who's this landing on? I used to vet the people who used to speak to me and in the early days. I used to ask like four questions like, do you have mental health? Do you have any mental health problems? Do you have close connections with family and friends? Are you dependent on other people if you want to give money? Like I used to kind of vet them. Then I just sort of gave that up because it took too much time and too much care. Um, and then, yeah, as I, as I said before, I resorted to a very shallow form of a persona so I can get more. And then what emotions were you feeling during this? I felt very misrepresented, like this isn't who I am. Um, you're worshipping someone like this isn't real. Um, like, what am I perpetuating here? Like, what am I creating? But at the same time, I can understand it. You know, there's so much fun about this, but I think it created much more emptiness and much more uh, despair in some ways because it is so addictive and it is so sticky. You think, how can I stop this? And then what I also found was that my sexual relationships, I, I was very scared that I would only get aroused when money was involved because that was what was happening. When money's involved, I'd get aroused, they get aroused. And I was thinking, am I conditioning myself to only be aroused when money's involved? And I do think for periods of time, that was the case. And that frightened me, absolutely frightened me, because at the end of the day, I wanted a partner. And if I could only get aroused by mon money when money's involved, my God, that's a hard connection to make when you're in the real, when you're in the real world, trying to form a bond of actual, actual intimacy that's more two-dimensional. It's really interesting because we started this conversation around not having that validation or not feeling secure compared to others. And then we have the doing this and feeling that affirmation and validation. 
but it then gets to the point where suddenly you're not feeling validated because you're going so far away from yourself. You're no longer your authentic self. So it almost feels like you've done a full circle. And I think that's what actually happens. And what I noticed was that the other dominant accounts I see on Twitter, they were posting every two or three hours. Who's the next sub? Uh, Who's going to pay for this? And I just thought they are stuck in that loop of feeling good, feeling worshipped, but needing more because more meant that that projection has been sustained. And I need to keep this up. So it's just like, my God, it's, it's so complex. So what did you decide to do? Yeah, so certain conditions came to be which would help me remove myself because I did want to get out of it. So the first thing was that Instagram did a huge call out, did a huge cull and deleted lots of kink profiles. So my main profile was on Instagram that was deleted. And I thought, oh, thank God, I don't have to put up that image anymore because it was hard. It was, it, it was taxing. It was rewarding, but it was taxing. And actually, just to say, I met some really cool people that I'm still in contact with now who have gone through similar journeys and they're really into kink. And I really love that. And they were part of the pod, my podcast as well. I interviewed them. So there were some great, some community came out of that. But anyway, so Instagram was deleted out of my control. Then with Twitter, I could start to see the game and the desperation and the time that was taken away from me that was stolen from me in some sense because it was so addictive. And then I met someone who I really liked. But the thing is, I know that doesn't really happen to everyone. But anyway, and then I met someone who I really liked and they challenged my ideas of what dominance can look like. They were much more three-dimensional. They had a brilliant um, emotional vocabulary. I mean, there was problems as well, but they really challenged that. And I thought, and I could really see that the reason why I'm not going forward with this person is because of the online space. And I just thought, do I want to stay in the online world or do I actually want to make an attempt at a connection uh, that's happening right now? And so I couldn't live with myself if I was to say no to this connection. So that was another huge factor which helped. Um, And then um, I changed professions and that really meant I had to kind of become much more discreet. So that started to close down. And by the end of it, Twitter changed some guidelines and I just thought this is just way too much. And I just, I, I deleted Twitter by the end of it and you have to wait a month. The problem with that is Twitter says, you deleted the account, we won't delete it. We'll give you a month so you can reactivate which I think is, uh, so I did reactivate a few times, but by the end of it, I didn't reactivate after a month. So I lost all my followers. And I just thought it would be so ridiculous to start again, create content and try and get thousands of followers. So yeah. probably not the clearest answer, but I there was just a few things that happened, but I wanted to get out for a long time. Thank you. And what you, you mentioned you met someone. So was this person a dominant or a submissive? dominant so you were serving them yeah and what actually happened was i won't go too much i won't go into too much detail of respect we played out the fantasies but very soon we realized that we were human and so the fantasies lost their intensity and their power 
and we integrated the much more humanist. So, for example, oh, I'm t- I am tired tonight. I can't serve as much as I wanted to. Um, and he may have been grumpy and therefore may have been a bit more directive or not directive. So that was integrated much more. And the fantasy, the intent, the fantasy kind of dropped a bit and then was kind of integrated within to the bigger picture. And it was done very well. And so what, what are you now doing? So I am still exploring that connection. It's had its ups and downs. It's had its ups and downs. Um, but I'm also kind of questioning my own kink identity because I would say I'm submissive by heart. I always have, but I have done so much more domination. And for the last several months, I actually just am really happy with doing vanilla stuff with men. It's like I've taken after this, after the, my podcast, which is a lot of introspection. After that, it's kind of like I've taken a step back and just thought, you know what? The most kinkiest thing I can do right now is actually be vanilla because it's so it's so out of my realm of things. <laughs> um, but I just I've I've taken a step back, and I just want to connect with people uh, in a very basic level. I'm not saying that kink is not basic. I think kink is very primal. It's very fundamental. But I I'm taking a little bit of a break to be honest. And how how do you feel about yourself? Can you validate yourself now? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I, I am very happy that I'm, I'm out of that world. I think the master-slave connection is, I, I do always align myself to the master-slave connection, but it only, the best place for it, I don't think, is on the internet in that way. You know, it's the kink is not, the best expression of master slave is not for me in Twitter and quick self in quick gratifying portals of communication. It's, it's just not, and I'm so happy I'm out of it. And I do feel much more centered and I do feel good about myself in that sense. Oh, massively. Yep. 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 It's so hard to get out though. I will just say it. it's very hard to get out. And I'm sorry, I don't want to say it, in the way there's kind of like moralizing that, like you need to get out. I don't believe that per se. I just think for me, the tendency was it became imbalanced and it just took up too much time for me. So, and it was hard to get out. It probably was a one or two year process to remove myself completely. But if it's working for people, then it's, you know, that's that's fine. There's no moralizing per se. So let's let's just cover some generic things quickly. So what are the signs for people to be aware of if it's coming on healthy, be it a sub or a dominant? I think from experience, you need to watch the amount of time you're putting into it. That's the first thing. How much time am I investing in that? The second thing is how... Am I responding emotionally to these exchanges? Am I feeling very affected by a conversation that's taken place over five minutes or, you know, not even that, like, do I just feel very affected by my connection with this person online? And, you know, am I left feeling better about myself or worse about myself? There has to be a process of checking in. And I also think 
when you start to believe that you are the problem, it's not working, that needs to be looked at because everything is co-created. You're not responsible for, for said feelings. You're totally responsible. I'd also like to add something else, which is, let's say from the slave point of view, if you're starting to pay an unhealthy amount of money, this is a warning sign. I have had a couple of um, people contact me and they were ending up spending far too much money and the moment they stopped, the financial dom just stopped talking to them. It was purely a transactional relationship. And I'd say the other thing is that this is at the shallow end of validation. So at a certain point, it's not enough. So then you give more or you do it more frequently and you end up finding yourself in a loop. And if you find yourself in that loop and that loop's getting smaller and tighter and faster, you are probably moving into an unhealthy place if you're not already in the unhealthy place. And you need to look out for that. Is there any tactics that people can do when they find themselves in a more unhealthy place? I think find a person or two people or a therapist that you can just speak to it about. I think part of what perpetuates the cycle, and as you say, tightens the cycle, makes it quicker, is the shame and the secrecy. And the more you can speak about it to friends or a trusted person, it alleviates some of that and you can have different perspectives uh, and opinions come in. Um, and I think really try and address what's going on underneath because I do also want to speak to the loneliness and the desperation and the despair people find themselves in, in being unable to find a dom. I think that's a real reality. And I don't have answers to that per se, but that's not an easy challenge to tackle. But try and work and speak to that. Usually the best form is a coach or, or a therapist or someone who's experienced and mature, a mentor as well. I think that's great advice to give. And I also want to say that for me and from what I've heard, sometimes cutting, going cold turkey is not the best approach you need to cultivate those other healthier connections, usually while this is happening, you know? So that's what I did. I met friends, but at nighttime I was on until the early hours, but I kept seeing friends and kept keeping those connections up, kept showing up, kept being honest. And eventually those uh, places that you, that are healthy will grow taller, to use an analogy, than the problem itself. So it's, it's a slow process of swinging from one vine to the next. I, I, I love that. Um, I, I think it sounds a bit like addiction in a way you just can't go cold on it, but also there's a reason why you're doing this and you need to replace it with more positive reasons. Uh, for instance, I like to comfort eat and it's a lifelong process to try and stop myself from doing it. But when it's most effective, it is when I've managed, when I have something else that's of comfort that I can connect to it's not because just getting rid of all comfort isn't it doesn't work for me but creating other ways of having comfort means i can then let go of the food the food addiction 
So you have a podcast. Would you like to talk about the podcast? Yes, I do. So the podcast, as you said, is called BDSM Reimagined. And it does two things. One is that it documents my journey and my co-host's journey through kink and BDSM. So that's presented in the way of rambles. We just have a ramble. We just talk about what's up for us. So that's strung along through the four, it's four seasons uh, at this moment of recording. That's strung along through all of them. Uh, and the second thing it does is that we really investigate and try and see what are some of the layers that lead us to the kink lifestyle and being dominant and submissive. So in the first season, we look at symbols and the power of symbols and what attracts us to uh, um, things like color, shape, like leather, uh, the Nike tick. Um, you know, my cousin was a dominatrix for a while. She loved being in a bathtub full of rose petals while someone worshipped her. And we look into those symbols and those pictures. The second season looks at archetypes and also uh, mentors and religion and see that the lack of that can lead us to search for some replacements or search for a replacement. Um, and then the third season looks at shame and effectiveness and how shame could be a part of why we're drawn to certain elements of kink. And we don't want to pathologize it, but we are just investigating what are the links here, you know, what's happening. And then the fourth season is we put an effort into interviewing guests or listeners. And what we do is we ask them to talk about their upbringing and then talk about a fantasy that they've had that's very activating for them. And then we go with them and interpret and see if there's any links from their fantasy to their upbringing, uh, which has some fascinating stories and connections. So just for example, uh, one guy wants to be a 24-7 slave under a brutal dom and be put in a cage, uh, physical cage. And uh, another person loves to worship a particular race, which is also quite a controversial area, but we kind of explore why that arouses them. We speak to a fin dom who likes to adopt subs. <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, that person was adopted when they were younger. We look at people who love to be... Um, eaten or shrunk, so macrophilia, shrunk and consumed. And where does that come from in their life, potentially? And uh, we also look at people who want to be kidnapped. And when I say people, we interview someone who wants to be kidnapped and taken hostage in that. <laughs> and there is a particular person from the Master Slave Lifestyle that should be featuring on there soon as well, to give a little self plug. <laughs> Who could that be? That's right. <laughs> yes, that's right. So I also interview you about your new book called Light and Shadow, The Psychology of Master and Slave Dynamics. And uh, I love that book. I you'll hear the episode comes out next. The episode should be out very soon. And I really love archetypes. So I, I was really excited to interview you. So that, yeah, I can't wait for listeners to grab a hold of that one. And I, I really do recommend BDSM Reimagined. I love how they do some of the conversations on there and some of the subjects they explore. So do please check it out. It's an amazing resource. And both Michael and his co-host have done an amazing job. Thank you. And if you are searching for it, it's wherever you listen to your podcasts. We used to have social media handles, 
but uh, one of them was banned because Instagram just banned it. Um, and we're trying to find other ways, but there is an email address. We are just letting it be at this stage. It is out there, it's accessible, and it's floating around. So the links will be in the description. Michael, thank you so much. And thank you so much for being so open about sharing this journey. I think it's going to be invaluable for other people to hear. Thank you. You just listened to Slave Phil from Master Slave Lifestyle. Look forward to an episode every month. Be safe. Be good.